let's do something we haven't done in a while. Let's look at the, uh, the grosses for this weekend. Okay. That should be interesting. We love doing that. <laughs> uh, Venom, in its second week, is it the second week? Yes. Uh, still mm-hmm. first place. Such a horrifically rated... Do audiences like it? I think audiences are better with it than critics have been. Yeah, I'm sure. Critics are burnt out on these movies. Yeah, I talked to some people in my office who saw it who were big Marvel fans. They all disliked it, so I don't know. Really? Yeah. They were very disappointed with it, and they're big diehard Marvel fans. I mean, they they salivate over everything that comes out, and so these these are the prime audience, and they were not happy, so... Yeah, I, I, I was under the impression that it worked in its uh, the bad reviews worked in its favor because everybody <laughs> saw it. And they were like, oh no, it's not that bad, you know. But uh, anyway, the thirty six million dollars in first place, twenty eight million in second place is A Star Is Born, also in its second week, so it's it's racked up just under a hundred million dollars. First Man premiered in third place. By the way, A Star Is Born only cost thirty six million to make. Yeah. So that's that's considered a budget movie nowadays. Uh, first Man, third place, sixteen and a half million. First weekend out. This amazes me. You know, remember how years ago when a movie used to like make gajillion dollars, everybody would hear about it. But uh, we haven't heard uh, a lot of uh, fanfare about. Um, the Incredibles 2, which has taken in like $607 million in the U.S. alone. Yeah. yeah it, that's it, major. Yeah, it feels it feels like barely anybody saw it. I know. It's true. And it's weird. Did one person just see it 600, 600 <laughs> million times? <laughs> I know. It makes you wonder. Right. And it's a good no. movie, too. I mean, you know. I, I was underwhelmed by it. I mean, I'm not saying it's great, but it's definitely better than the last several Pixar's I've seen. So. Oh well, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> and man, can you imagine what Toy Story? What is it? Four. Yes. Which they finished is going to do. Yeah. Good yeah. Lord. That's true. Ka-ching, yeah, ka-ching. That's... Was that? And Tim Allen said that Tim Allen said that he saw a cut of it and said that he was sobbing by the end of it. Yep, I read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, they're how long? I mean, it's been nine years. It'll be nine years when it comes out since the last installment. That's a boy. They're really making these. And it was what I think it was like nine years or maybe eleven since uh, when they did Toy Story three. So it's like almost a decade gap each time they do one of these. Yeah. Things. Wow. Which really points out to the, the generational appeal of them. Because they yeah, play to a different generation each new one that comes out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's true. You know, it's it's been it's been a series with a nice track record. I mean, none of the three are are duds. I mean, no, I, I would think all. that. I think two is like the favorite amongst most. I think. It's right? my favorite. Yeah, it's there's a lot of good, a lot to love there, in number two. Definitely. And I remember thinking three was just, I watched three, and I thought, you already made two. Like, what's the point of three? 
like uh, it felt like a, a lesser rehash of like two. Yeah. And there was mm-hmm. really, I only have vague recollections of it, but it there was really kind of veiled Holocaust stuff at the end of it that felt a little heavy for a kids kids movie. Even though I know these aren't strictly for kids, but uh, yeah, burning in ovens and stuff. That's true. I forgot about that. Absolutely. It's a little yeah. heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was, and Ned Beatty was the villain. At least he wasn't squealing like a pig, so that's... <laughs> 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 I had to go there. Was he really? Yeah. He, he, really did, the he did the villain, he, the, the uh, teddy bear villain. Yeah, that's right. Wow. That's right. Oh. Uh. Well, here's something interesting. Uh, I've been reading a lot this weekend, and uh, they're both tangentially related to movies. And I was thinking it might be neat to do a series of, uh, like, uh, you know, the real story behind so-called factual movies or movies based on real events. And so I started reading a book on the, the Texarkana murders, the Lover's Lane murders, that of the town the dreaded sundown is based on. And, uh, man, I had no idea. I was under the impression that this was a 70-year-old unsolved case of the guy that killed people in 46 in Texarkana on Lover's Lane, and then he was wearing a hood in the dark and scared all these teenagers, and the town was gripped with fear. It was solved within a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, you'd never know it from uh, the movie. No, uh, and then and then I read. Now this is an older book. This was actually uh, this book was actually released the same year as the novel that the film is based on. But a book called Closing Time, which is the real story of the looking for Mister Goodbar murder. Huh. And uh, that was fascinating too, um, because uh, it, the, her family did not cooperate with the book, even though they're very pleasant. They just didn't want to be involved but so her portrait isn't as complete as the killer's portrait and it is a a surprisingly heartbreaking book um that i would recommend everybody it's you know it was written in 75 and the author's dead now but uh it's a it's really just the jaw drops on the floor by the end of the book i didn't realize that that was based on a real case yeah Uh, i knew it was yeah yeah because there's a tv movie isn't there about the real case? Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to you don't need to bother with the T V movie. <laughs> <laughs> Probably impossible to get too. But it's based it's on, on the YouTube. Crew. I actually I actually watched like ten yeah. minutes of it today. If you want to yeah. see uh, a a TV movie about this uh bar hopping sex murder starring George Siegel Seagal uh George Siegel, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's just how tantalizing it is. It's as tantalizing <laughs> as it sounds. Who's the lead? Who's the female lead? Oh, I don't even know. I, I didn't make it that far. Okay. I saw I saw George Siegel do a scene on the phone to open the movie, and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm if you get to do that, you might as well go and watch Roller Coaster instead. Yeah. It was it really... Was... I mean, it, this real case in 73, it was... It, it was what the movie represented it to be. It was this this culmination of uh, 
of, of feminism and the singles bars and the independent woman and the big dark city of New York and all the perils that that entails. And so it, it's, you know, there are facts of the case and the strength of this book is it really makes you empathize with the, it reminded me a lot of star 80 makes you empathize with the killer as much as you don't want to. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously what the killer did was heinous and, uh, and he deserved to rot for it. But, uh, you know, it was interesting how they were both on similar tracks, the mm. killer and the victim. And they just converged in a crazy city like New York. Mm. Um, and they were living three blo- three blocks apart the whole time, pretty much. Uh, but it's a fascinating story. But that movie is um, it's interesting because it's the kind of material that's a, such a powder keg because it can be interpreted or misinterpreted in equal measure. And and Richard Brooks doesn't necessarily give you any sense of how he wants you to interpret it, which I think is the strength of it. So is it uh, is it a, a warning against uh, feminism? Is it to, to say something like uh, uh, late uh, hidden uh, or latent homosexuality? How dangerous that is? Is it uh, she had it coming to her? Or, oh, poor, poor girl, you know, this woman shouldn't have to put up with... I mean, all of that kind of cultural uh, ex- explosiveness is buried in that material. Mm-hmm. You can't do a lame... Well, other than the George Siegel movie. You can't really do a lame version <laughs> of that story because it's yeah. so Im- imbued with provocative stuff. The movie's like a horror movie. It it's, is. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of terrifying, even before it gets to the ending, which uh, you know made a lot of people ill in the theater. But uh, the uh, the rest of it is just kind of horrifying. It's all shot in these uh, really really intense reds by uh, William Fraker, yep. and uh, yeah, uh, really really a stunning movie. Great performance. What a performance. Yeah, she's superb. There's no doubt. I I had one minor problem with it. I watched it again recently, even though it's uh, criminally un, unavailable on DVD or Blu-ray, I guess because of the music rights issue. But I there was one thing that kind of jumped out at me that I had an issue with, and it's at the very end, because the whole movie's told, told pretty much from her point of view, and then yeah. at the end of it, they take you out of that just... Uh, and, and they and they do that simply as an excuse to introduce you to the killer, who's not really been a part yeah. of the proceedings up until. Yeah. And that just felt out of place. It's they, like this whole movie has been. They were kind of forced and, into doing that because were, you know it, how how could they have you know they didn't want to. That's true. Have a character come in, bong and yeah. It, it, the, but know. but if you, if you handle it like I mean it would feel, I don't know why they didn't think it would feel right just to have him appear in the bar. Because if the whole thing's told from her point of view, that's the first time she's seeing him. That's true. Yeah, and, good point. And, and, and it would and it would feel more kind of random, uh, yeah. like it did in real life too, if it yeah. happened like that. Now, I would like I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a version that has the, the two parallel stories, the way the book is written, because that really brings the tragedy out of it. And she was mm-hmm. she was mutilated a lot more than what's shown on the, in the movie. Thank yeah. God. Oh, wow! Um, I mean, it, it was it was horrific. 
and uh, and she told him. I mean, she was. I think she was being. She told him, "Kill me, kill me." Uh, uh, does she say that in the movie? Uh, I believe, I believe pretty, so. It's pretty chaotic in there, but uh, I, I can't remember if any line. If, too many lines for. And I hear Tom Berenger's not not crazy about the movie either. <laughs> who, is, who is Tom Berenger? Tom Berenger oh. isn't very crazy about it. It's, it's not one of his like, favorite uh, roles. Auspicious, <laughs> auspicious beginning to his career, but yeah. um, but Richard Gere, you know, became a real kind of sensation. Uh, I mean, that started the ball rolling for him. It really did. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty much. And Diane Keaton, such a like, you think of the range of roles. Nobody asks her about looking for Mr. Goodbar. Like nobody, I couldn't find any interviews with her about it's, that movie. It's a hard movie to see, I guess. So everybody uh, just wants to talk to her about the the, the shallow comedies that she did. Like mm-hmm. she she was a great dramatic actress <laughs> sure was. as well. Yeah. And, it's so so beautiful in The Godfather as as well. And she's seen as like a side. Which in a way she was, but in a way Duval was a side character in Godfather too. There is kind of in the background. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, but man, she was just amazing. But you know mm-hmm. the book. This this is because you mentioned that baby. This is what brought this up. Uh, <laughs> the the real woman, the real Mr. Goodbar, uh, was reading Deliverance. She was almost finished with Deliverance. It was on her nightstand. Um, and instead of finishing instead of finishing the book, she went across the street to the bar and met up with that guy mm. who ended up killing her. Though there's no significance in that. It's just it was just an interesting little tidbit of information. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I uh, and that's something I didn't I didn't know that. Um, speak, speaking of deliverance, I've been reading the um, since Burt Reynolds passed away. Of course, I've been reading his first autobiography of course there were two you know the second one came out recently but i i was i've been really enjoying that there's a lot he's very forthcoming in that book i mm-hmm. didn't realize he was as candid as he is i i've had it sitting around is for it the last one he wrote the first one first uh, one my life first one okay and i have the second one i just haven't gotten to it yet but i've been reading the first one it's been like i said i've had it for years and what year was it written 94 okay and, uh, I, uh, when he when he was on that when he was on that book tour, I went and saw him because he uh, yeah. I was managing movie theater, and right across the street from the movie theater was a Books a Million, and he was signing that night, and mm-hmm. I I walked over and kind of caught a glimpse of him in my little AMC uh, concession vest, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> bow tie, and uh, <laughs> you know I smelled like a goddamn bag of popcorn, and I walked over <laughs> there and caught a glimpse of him, and he was. People loved him. I mean, he was play fighting yeah. with people, like playing like he was punching some guy in the jaw. I don't know what that mm. was about. But <laughs> people really, really took to him. It's really good, and there's a lot I didn't. You know, he he details the whole uh, love affair that he had with Dinah Shore, and that's very well written about in there. I just, I, I it's very moving his account of that whole thing and uh, how why they broke up and how they broke up and. And all that, and I just that this that was very interesting, and I didn't know, or maybe I knew this and had forgotten about it, that he was uh, at one point accused of murder on the set of WW and the Dixie Dan, Dan, No, it was the Man Who Loved Women. I'm sorry, okay, uh, or Man Who Loved Cat Dancing. Also, I'm sorry, I'll get it out. The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing. He was making that movie, and Sylvia Miles was dating this guy who turned up dead, and she had been abusive to, uh, or he had been abusive to her rather, and. Uh, wow. 
anyway, he yeah, and she and he turned up dead. Like he had tried to strangle her, and she, and I, I think Bert had had some words <coughs> with him, and then he just suddenly turns up dead with a gash in his head, and Bert was uh, was accused of of you know he was he was wanted for questioning. And I to, remember that story. Yeah. Didn't every didn't everybody hate that guy? Yeah, they did. He's a, he's a real jerk. Yeah. Who was it? Uh, David Tomkin, I think was his name, or something like that. He was a writer for Time magazine. Okay. And he apparently was really abusive to Sylvia Miles. And that while they were making that movie, he just Bert kind of felt protective of her, and and he was kind of encouraging her to you know stay away from him. And he showed up one day and assumed that they were having an affair. You know, they had become friendly, but they weren't having an affair. He was still involved with very much so with Dinah Shore at the time, and and very much in love with her. And you know, but he was, you know, they had they had chemistry, and uh, you know, off screen they were they were very friendly, and he just got really jealous, and he he pitched a fit, and then turned up uh, dead, the night after they mm. had some some words, and it was uh, yeah, I didn't know all that stuff, and it's it's fascinating, so yeah, and he had to be whisked away from the movie set because there was such a. a a throng of press there that were asking all these questions, and he just had to get, get away. And mm-hmm. uh, it was where Wayne did, where Newton. Did, where did cat dancing? Where did cat dancing fall in his career? Uh, what seventy five, right? Seventy three, seventy three. It was right okay. after Deliverance. Yeah, and and of all people, the one who rescued him from that that the press and and their descending on that movie set was Wayne Newton. He came and and whisked him away in his in his plane and said, I you know I'll I'll come. I'll come get you out of there. Yeah, I, I see what's going on. It's bad. And he came and got him and you know put him up for a little while. And and the song Donkashane is based on that incident. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Donkashane oh, is a much older song. Yes, it is. It is. But anyway, for anybody who's interested in Bert's life, that book I would say is a good place to. If you want to know some of the stories that he didn't get around to telling on our show, there's some good stuff in there. It's really rich with, and like I said, I felt like he was very honest and forthcoming with a lot of stuff. I, I just was kind of expecting maybe a puff piece, I guess. And when I started reading, I couldn't put it down. This is really well done. So, mm. anyway, did he write it, or was Quite, he was he it did. with a ghostwriter? Uh, apparently, uh, supposedly he did. Okay. Uh, and, and judging by re- when I read it, it it sounds it's his like voice. something he would write. Yes, yeah. it sounds like the, his. When you hear him tell a story, when you're reading it, it it, it sinks up. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could you could just hear what's on the written page being spoken by him. If you imagine, if you put your imagination to work, so it's it's good. Yeah, it's good. So and it's got I, two uh, two biogra- two biographies he wrote about him. Autobiographies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, can... you know, you've had a life when you've got two books full of material. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It always always stunned me that, like, Kenneth Branagh wrote his autobiography when he was 30. And I was like, well, oh. how much of an ego does it take? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, he had a lot of free time, too. I guess so. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway. Well, it's, yeah, it's, so. that, that's a weird career trajectory I mean he's still working and um, uh, he's making successful movies because he's making the big budget studio stuff yeah but uh, mm-hmm. you know we we didn't mess 
when he was when he hit it big with all the Shakespeare stuff, uh, we thought Dead Again was a real outside the box thing for him. Like, oh wow, he's making like a, a mainstream commercial. This is his take on that kind of movie, and now it's yeah. uh, it's what he gets hired to do. Yeah. Thor, Murder on the Orient Express, yada yada yeah. yada. Let's make a <laughs> Thor movie. Let's get Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> yeah. It's like who would thought? I know. Uh, uh, well, anywho, get the guy that did the Theory of Flight to direct the new Jack Ryan movie, or whatever that <laughs> yeah. movie is. Yeah, he did. He did one of those. You're exactly right. He sure did. Um. Did we see First Man? I did. Yeah, I saw it last Tuesday. I watched it yesterday. I was yeah. I was sorely disappointed. I kind of was too. Uh, I although was... I didn't hate it, I didn't hate it. I want to. I want to make that clear. I did not hate it, but I was. I'll be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed. But anyway, you go I, first. <laughs> I was. I was bored tremendously. I was like, oh no, this is not working. It's. Uh, you know, I hate being reminded of uh, better movies, but, uh, you know, it's hard to be in a movie like that without thinking of the right stuff, which is a thousand times mm-hmm. better. Yeah. Uh, its first fall down was it didn't look good. It was uh, shot in uh, a lot of it's in extreme close-up uh, with a handheld camera, so that makes the shaking even worse. And uh, there were no really great shots in it. <clears throat> the period detail I didn't think was very, uh, uh, you know, tremendously accurate or or even uh, passably uh, appealing uh, visually. And, uh, yeah, it felt like, it felt like uh, even though it's Ryan Gosling's movie, should be, uh, it felt like he was barely in it. For some reason, I guess because most of the time he's in the spacesuit, and you can't really see him. Uh, but uh, you know, Claire Foy is okay in it. Uh, oh boy, I got irritated with all those kid scenes. I was like, smack the kid already, you know. Uh, but it has to be modern kid raising now. So, uh, 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 Oh boy, it was it was so dull. Uh, there was no, no excitement in it whatsoever. I mean, you know, and theoretically, you know, well, we know he landed on the moon, he came back, and everything. But still, there was still we knew all the stuff about right stuff, and uh, and yet that movie ma- managed to be exciting. Uh, I don't know. It was it was it's the first chink in Damien Ch- Chazelle's. Uh, armor, so to speak, and uh, yeah, not. And, and also, he didn't write the screenplay, so uh, no, I, I, that yeah. was that was. I suspect that might have been a problem there, and uh, yeah, he just didn't. It didn't feel like he was invested in the material, even effects-wise. I was like, yeah, yawn. You know, yeah. after you've seen something like, uh, like. Gravity or something more recent. Uh, it didn't even come close to anything like that. Yeah, it, um, I, I just I thought it was half a good movie. I I was really 
the stuff with Neil Armstrong, I never connected with the human element. I mm-hmm. just felt like he was too aloof. Yes. As a human and as a human being, and maybe he was in real life. I don't know, but nevertheless, you don't put a guy who's basically um, a blank slate as your um, <laughs> as your lead character. It doesn't mm-hmm. make for a good drama or, or a good experience as, as a as a moviegoer. Yeah. And I think that that was that was part of my problem with it. I, I thought, well, this movie, the human drama element here must be off the charts. You know, think of what this guy went through, and it just you never, I never. Never got a sense of it, yeah. No, you didn't. But I did think the technical stuff, the recreations of some of those, uh, the the launches and the and the missions, some of those were pretty compelling. I, I did like the way they dramatized the um, the 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 mission where Gus Grissom and all those guys yes, uh, burned. That was burned the to best death. part of the movie. Very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's and you know there's there's a a few other uh, of those that are really that really grab you. But uh, I thought that they botched the uh, the end of the movie because it went on way too long. Like yeah. you, it, it was yeah. anticlimactic. Like he lands what? on the moon, and you think, and and they land. You know, they they land in the crater, or they almost land in the crater, and then they, you know, they finally do land, and and then and you think, and he's stepping out, and you think, well, this is where the movie's going to end. This is lot. This is what we've been working towards, and this is it. Oh no! It doesn't end there. He lands on the moon, gets back on the ship. They come back. They go into quarantine. His wife comes to see him when he's being quarantined. It's like we don't need to see all this. Yeah. You know, this is too much information. You I know, didn't dr- really feel like they set up a really great relationship between he and his wife. You know, it was no, just, I didn't, didn't feel feel anything about that. Also, another thing in these movies, you got so many opportunities for interesting actors in smaller roles like, you know, the crews and the yeah. and the, the fellow astronauts and the and the suits and everything and the wives and the uh even the kids and there was nothing. I mean Kyle Chandler is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh and then for me the uh the present day kiss of death is the presence of Jason Clark. <laughs> Whenever I see him now in a movie, I'm like, oh no, they got this meatball in it again. Uh, I I don't know. He's so you're not, not you're not gonna like Pet Cemetery. I would have yeah, probably liked that anyway, but uh, yeah. generally, I, generally I don't care for that guy. And uh, he was he was Teddy K- Kennedy and Chappaquiddick and. Yep. Uh, Isn't that uh, the the one with? Um... Oh, I can't think. All I see is you. That drama, that uh, drama where he's trying to kill his wife. Uh, uh, Blake Lively was in it. Yeah, that mm-hmm. last fall. Yeah, he was. He got to make out with Blake Lively. Man, I'm thinking. Is she <laughs> your Dan Aykroyd? He's kind of. He's kind of. A, he's sort of a Dan Aykroyd. He's sort of. He. I feel about him like I did originally about. Uh, and I've reversed this about John C. Riley. I used to go, oh, John C. Riley. When he was first starting out, I'm like, yeah, he's not. But after after Magnolia, he he got on my good side. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how mm-hmm. that happens, but uh, now I look forward to John C. Riley in a movie, and uh, should be really interesting to see that. Uh, 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 Ollie and Ollie and Stan movie. And Stan, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> With him and uh, and uh, who's that? Uh, Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan. Uh, yeah, wow. Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, and looking forward to that. That looks 
So is this so is this the second movie in a row where uh, Ryan Gosling plays a replicant? <laughs> could be. Yeah, it could be. He was he he was even less less emotive in this one than he was in that one. Yeah, I believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I don't know what what's going on, but uh, that's a because maybe maybe Armstrong was like that uh, in real life. So it it that's an interesting uh, conundrum for an actor. And I think about people that have done it right. Billy Bob Thornton can do that. Something mm-hmm. like the man who wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, Harrison Harrison Ford can do that in something like Presumed Innocent. Um, there's some actors that can still be captivating when they're playing dullards. That's yes. True. Yes, true. But uh, I don't think he's that that great of an actor to do that. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's it's a real disappointment though. Yeah, I've been disappointed well, twice. In a row. So the other one was bad times at the El Royale. That was the other disappointment. So I I wouldn't have, I I wasn't having high expectations for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Drew Goddard is not somebody you can go. Oh yes, everything he does is great. Cause, <laughs> no. <come on. laughs> you know. Unless 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 you're like a 23 year old fangirl or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this guy, uh, boy, so, he is in love with Quentin Tarantino. That's all I'm going to say. This guy, he he must worship the ground Tarantino he walks on. And I, I would say, you know, when around the time Pulp Fiction came out, when uh, we had all those copycat Tarantino movies, you know, where everybody was trying to copy, you know, trying to riff, you know, and be the next Tarantino, he would have been dismissed as one of those guys. Yeah, sure. You know, back then. Sure. And now I, I think enough time has passed where he's kind of getting away with it. When he's getting away with it because now we're entering into the phase where the 90s becomes the new nostalgia point. I think so. I think mm. you're right. You're on to something. And, and mm. this movie goes so far to rip Tarantino off as to have chapter headings, just like most of the Tarantino movies. I mean, it's, it's everything is, is chapter, has a chapter. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if this isn't, you know, really ripping off Tarantino. I, I mean, I mean, there are a few interesting plot. Well, that's real. In the that's movie. really ripping off the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's true too. But you know, he just—he made it kind of. You know, Tarantino kind of put the his stamp on. That's one of his things with all of his movies is the chapter. Yeah, you know, I, I know it's been done before, but but um, but yeah, he. Oh, I saw that, and my, you know, I was just groaning. And there's just so many, and he he's never met a scene that he could shorten. That's for sure. I mean, he'll show you something. Well, that's then, Tarantino like too. <laughs> well, I don't mind. I mean, it's different with Tarantino because he somehow makes it um, interesting. Because his dialogue guy, is good. Yeah, you, you, because you'll the thing with Tarantino for me is he, he, I'll see something and I'll think he's lingering on it too long, and I'll think, oh, okay, I believe I would have cut that, I believe I would cut it, but then eventually it pays off. There's usually a reason for it, and it's like, okay, now I get it. Okay, well, all right, I get, I see where you're going with this. Well, this guy, he'll show you something, and he'll cut to something else, and then come back to it, and and you're and you're looking at it, and you're thinking, well, wh- why didn't he just eliminate that first go round with this? And instead, just leave the the second because it's the same thing. We're seeing it twice, mm-hmm. you know. And, and why not? Why not just do it once instead of twice? But he he can't he can't rest until he does everything two times. But yeah, I mean it's very well photographed. But you know, then uh, Chris Hemsworth shows up uh, as an opportunity to take his shirt off at the end of the movie, and or 
you know, show off his abs and all that, and you can see that's pretty much what that's all about. And it's just, <laughs> I don't know, it just, I don't know, the whole thing just aggravated me really. And like I said, there are a few good moments in it from time to time, but if he if he had judiciously trimmed it, it could have been a a passable movie of its type. But he just two hours and twenty minutes is just too much of that. So anyway, yeah. yeah. Mm. I have a feeling. I have a feeling we're we're not going to see very many great movies this season. Uh, well, I don't know. We've seen quite a few good, great ones this year already. This I year, think. but uh, uh, this have. winter season. I mean, fall and winter. I had seen more movies by more great movies by August than I had seen the entire year by August of last year. Yeah. So, uh, I have to say, I can't complain because, you know, you had Black Klansmen and First Reformed and uh, you know, we could name a couple others. But, you know, there was some really good stuff that yeah. came. So I, I, I kind of I makes up for it for me. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of this stuff is is being overhyped and a little too ballyhooed. And then when, when we get to it, we're just a little bit disappointed. And uh, And I see the first words are coming out about Bohemian Rhapsody. They say that's a pretty much a standard a, biopic. A filmed Wikipedia entry is what I'm reading. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, although, although I see the performance, uh, they say that performance is fantastic. It's almost, you're almost able to, you know, gloss over the failings of the movie. But but um, I think they really missed the boat by not putting Sacha Baron Cohen in there and letting him have that, you know, mm. instead of the, the band. They fought with him over that, and, and they... You know, they couldn't, it was a script thing, from what I understand, mm-hmm. and he had an approach to the material, and they wanted it more to be about the band as a whole. One thing about to, Sasha Baron Cohen, I wonder if he might have been a little too tall for that role. I, I don't know, because Freddie Mercury wasn't seven feet no, tall. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, you know, yeah. that's one thing about that. So. Well, and the one thing that everybody admits is great about the movie is the lead performance. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, you know, at least we have that. Yeah, true. And, and they say that, and they say that the performances are—I mean, the musical performance sequences are exceptional, especially the the ending that they went all out for, the Live Aid um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. sequence. Okay. So well, maybe I, mean, I think Queen fans will get a lot out of it. Uh, you know, I don't know what kind of constituency of audiences that is that represents, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I know they have a lot of fans. Mike Myers is in it, uh, fittingly enough. Yeah, I did see that somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're screening it Tuesday. That's after probably next. what cursed it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're probably right. Uh, oh, at, about space travel, they're make, they're making a Christ, uh, Christine McAuliffe movie, yeah, at least a Challenger movie, and Michelle Williams is playing uh, Christine McAuliffe. Oh, very good. So, uh, and I'm surprised they haven't done that. Have they done that yet? They haven't, have they? They probably have done it for television. They did. There was a television movie back in the uh, not long after the actual incident happened. Yeah. I, I remember it being pretty good, actually. I can't remember the title of it, but yeah, I saw it. Is it uh, Meredith Baxter Bernie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't remember, but uh, I, I just remember seeing it, and it was it, it was one of those three hour events. 
you know, that they used to do from time to time. And An event. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what. On this special that's what episode. The, uh, the ABC movie event. Dun, 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 dun. And yeah. The animated yep. stars with the barkey and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah every every yeah. miniseries used to be an event back then. And it really NB- was. People actually tuned in to watch it. NBC had a show uh, for their for their uh, things, uh, TV movies and so forth, and uh, called The Big Event. Mm. Yeah. You remember that? That's true. They sure did. That's when they ran their theatricals, I think, mostly. Yeah, the big event. Hey, I found out the cast and crew of that. It was a 1990 Challenger is the name of it. It has Karen Allen. Oh. Oh. Our friend Karen Allen. Yeah, and a Barry Boswick. She's uh, she's good. She's good casting. Yeah, she's Barry Boswick and um, (laughs) Richard Richard Jenkins is in it though. Joe Joe Morton, Angela Bassett. So. There's some interesting casting there going on. So, Man, anyway. I, was, I keep I, was, I, I keep hearing great stuff about this movie Thunder Road. I wonder when the how the hell are we going to see that? Like when is that coming around? You guys heard of that I movie? Haven't, haven't heard of it. Haven't um, heard of it. I've heard I've seen the title pop up, but I'm not can't say I'm familiar with it. I know the old Robert Mitchum one, of course. Of course. <laughs> If you get a chance to see it, check it out. Like, uh, let us know how it is because it's uh, it's getting raves. Like the best character study of the year, and like one of the best performances. It's it's borderline comic. They say the movie. Uh huh. It's, it's getting great notices. Yeah. Andrew Road. Okay. I see, I see it now. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're talking and about. It, it, the, the the title does refer to the Springsteen song. Okay. Yeah. Now, I want to see, I haven't gotten, I was wondering if either one of you guys have seen the new Tamara Jenkins movie that's uh, on Netflix, Private Life, with Paul Giamatti, because I'm hearing really good Uh things about that one. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah, I hear that. I'd like to. Superb. I did did start to watch the 22nd of July, Paul Greengrass. Okay. Oh, I really want to see that. And I watched about an hour of it. So I've got uh-huh. an hour and fifteen minutes left on it, and I was like, "Oh, I got to, I got to finish this later. This is tough." Yeah, is it? Oh, <laughs> it's, bad. It's a tough movie. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, I mean, the the it movie opens with the killing of you know, twenty some odd children. Uh, and, you know, that's a hell of a way to start a movie. Yeah. Uh, and then and then have two hours left. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so, yeah. You know. Beautiful and stuff. Mercifully, it doesn't contain the shaky cam stuff that he's known for. That's good. I mean, That's good. Although he's good shaky cam guy. But it's 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 a controlled handheld. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's good at that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he does. I watched uh, Bloody Sunday on Prime recently, and mm-hmm. I had not seen that movie. Uh, for a really long time, uh, probably since it came out in 2002 or something. Man, that is a masterpiece. How can, uh, uh, how did he do it? I don't see how he could have done it in in the place where that happened, where there has to be a lot of, uh, had to have been a lot of raw emotion. And, uh, yeah, boy, it's, it, you think, if you think, uh, United 
three is such a uh, is is a good movie. You should go back and take a look at that one because that one is is a real achievement, real achievement. Uh, hundreds of people cast members and stuff and uh, complicated dialogue, complicated physical action, uh, chaos all over the place. Oh man, it is it is really really good. I never did see it actually. I remember when it came out, but I just—it's one of those I that I never did get around to. It's on Prime. Okay, good. It is great, a great movie. Uh, and I also watched on Prime the Great Smoky Roadblock. Oh, good. Yeah, we were talking about that on the last Blu-ray episode because it yep. came out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what was your thoughts? Uh, it was fun. It was fun. It was, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Henry Fonda as a trucker wanting to make his last run, and mm-hmm. he he's looking for something to carry, and he picks up Robert England, who's a uh, who's a hitchhiker. So most of his scenes are with Robert England, and uh, <clears throat> he uh, stops in at an old cat house that he he loves. That's run by uh, uh, it's. it's uh, it's Eileen Brennan who's mm-hmm. who's running the place and uh some of the some of the prostitutes there are uh uh Susan Sarandon is one and uh Melanie Mayron before her uh before her plastic surgery she's one and uh anyway he decides to transport the entire cat house including you know the all the furniture and all the girls across mm-hmm. the state line when they get pressured by the uh by the authorities. Yeah. And uh I thought it was a lot of fun, you know, it was uh it was a lot of fun. Could have used some uh better music in it, I thought, but uh other than that, uh I you know, I really didn't have many complaints. Very fun. Yeah, I'm a sucker for movies made during that period, of course. So, yeah, I'm thinking I might be the prime, no pun intended, audience for that. Yeah. So, it, yeah. It's decent. Uh, let's see. Trying to see what else that I've got on here. Oh, I watched the greatest Muhammad oh, Ali. Oh, yeah, Muhammad Ali, yeah, 1977. <laughs> yeah, Tom, yeah. Tom Grease, last film, I believe. It was his last film? Okay. Yeah, he, he died, I think, before it was released. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, I believe. it's not too bad. Uh, although, I think it's absurd having... Uh, having James Earl Jones as the young Malcolm X. Oh yeah. Why? He's like he's like two or three Malcolm X's rolled into one, you know, because he's huge. <laughs> he's you know? a big guy. And um, he didn't look like Malcolm X at all. But uh, it was a time waster. I thought it was a it was a curio just because Muhammad Ali is in it, and uh, he, he was actually pretty good at it. Not bad. So, James Earl Jones was having a good year that year. That was the same year he played in uh, Exorcist 2. So he, uh, he was on a roll that year. Yeah. What a good year. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did do the voice of Darth Vader the same year, so I guess it, it came around oh, for right. him. Okay. Now that yeah. evens out the year. Yeah, that yeah, evens out. Yes, yeah. And uh, I should mention that both versions of The Town That Dreaded Sundown are on Prime, including the 70s yeah, version. I, re- I rewatched them both last week. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Neither one of them are good. 
No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really not. I mean, the 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 original is a, is a scotch better, and the first act of the remake is is pretty uh, promising. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think there are a couple of effect, effective moments in the original that kind of grab you. There are a couple of things in yeah. there, and uh, it's it's not bad. It's not terrible. It's you know, there are some things I like no. about it, but no, no, I wouldn't. No, no, it's great. No, it's it's a. I mean, for me, it was like at most a two and a half out of five stars. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay, just, it's it's a it's a solid, it's a solid C plus for me. Yeah. I'd give it about two and a half. Yeah, that sounds about right. I remember seeing it at the drive-in and not being very impressed with it because it's real difficult it's a great to see. drive-in movie. Well, maybe oh, yeah. so, maybe so, but, uh, you know, the uh, it's hard to see really dark scenes in at the drive-in because yeah, there's a lot of light bleed off and stuff. And, uh, of course, yeah. the movie is called The Town That Dreads Sundown, so that means most of the scenes are at night and... Uh, and yeah. I remember thinking it's very, very dark and hard to see anything. So my father remembered. My father remembered those murders. I remember him telling wow. me because he 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 was born in Arkansas. That's where he grew up, and these murders took place on the you know the border of Texas and Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it really was at that time. It, it really did grip everybody in fear. I mean, it, well, it's well, it's sure, the whole reason they weren't they weren't used to. Killers all over the place and stuff, and all over well, the television and everything, you know. I just remember, you know, you know, it's funny that I can remember trailers that I saw 40 years ago, and I can't tell you what trailers I saw a week ago when I saw, you know, the last movie I saw theatrically. I can't tell you what trailers ran, but I can remember trailers that I saw 40 years ago in a theater, which is really weird. I don't know what kind of phenomena that is. Or what it says about me, but anyway, I remember when we went to see King Kong the '76 when they ran the trailer for the for the the town that dreaded sundown, and it scared the bejesus yeah. out of me because I was six yeah. at the time, and they were you know they they were advertising the movie as being about a killer that was never caught like we just talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. and I mean it scared the living bejesus out of me because I I thought he could be outside he could be I guess that was, that's why it stuck with you. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. did. You know, but I can I can remember distinctly trailers for films that I saw, you know, thirty four years ago, and, c- and could not tell you a, a trailer that I saw in the last month. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, the movie uh, the movie really uh, tries its hand somewhat at kind of a docudrama. You know, it has a yeah. narrator and yeah. everything that talks to you like they're like it's coming through the news bulletin or something. And yeah. Uh, and it's it's marginally uh, effective. Uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting cult movie. I mean, I could I could see wanting to check out the town that dreaded sundown or at an overnight sleepover or something. <laughs> I haven't done I haven't done in thirty years. Well, the Legend of Boggy Creek was made by that same director. That yes, and it had a, it had a similar you know uh, voiceover and style. Yeah. Yeah. So. And again, it was just like Towns of the Dreaded Sundown in, in that it had some effective scenes, but overall it was kind of. There's some musical interludes that do not do that film any favors. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is they're, they're true. Really bad, really amateurish. But when the movie gets down to the, the attacks of the this big Bigfoot type creatures, some of those re- recreations are 
like I said, again, they scared the hell out of me when I was a kid and I saw those because that used to pop up in syndication on some of our local channels here. Mm-hmm. And I saw that quite frequently, and I mean, oh, my God, it was pretty intense back in the day. So, Here's another of your favorites. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to mention another of uh, Adam's favorites on Prime, Squirm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I am a fan of that one, I have to admit. <laughs> it's fun in a goofy way. And Frogs is on there, too. Oh, yeah. One of the great posters of all time, but not a yeah. great movie, with uh, Ray Milland and Sam, Sam Elliott. Elliott. He has uh, he's, dark he's, hair in the movie. Isn't that funny? He's an environmentalist or something, yes. isn't he? Or something? Yes, and he's, he is. He's yeah. battling the big, uh, the big business guy who's polluting all the lakes, played That's by right. Ray Milland. Yeah. 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 I can remember, that was the first time I ever saw Sam Elliott in a movie that I know of, and that was the first time I was aware of him anyway, and he just, like I said, I remember him having dark hair in that movie, and you just don't think of him having <laughs> uh, You didn't rush out to go see Lifeguard? I remember seeing Lifeguard at the oh, drive-ins no. back in 75. <laughs> I remember uh, when it came out, I didn't see it, though. I think my mom wanted to see it because she liked him, so, yeah, uh, right. yeah. so, yeah, uh, <laughs> older women with Sam Elliott, Jesus. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they went crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he's fat. Can't blame blame them, really. But I remember uh, that that kind of uh, feeling you're talking about, Adam, because, I mean, I rented tons of horror movies when I was a kid or had my mother rent them for me. And I remember some of them, some of them, especially the cheaper ones from the 70s, the kind of throwaways, they they really uh, crawled under my skin. And there mm-hmm. was a creature feature, our local creature feature channel. On Saturday and Sunday afternoons, they play scary movies, and they play stuff like uh, children shouldn't play with dead things, or yep, let's scare. I'm Jessica surprised they played death. that one. Yeah, uh, well, heavily. Uh, all this heavily stuff edited. heavily. Yeah, but and I did, and when I went back and I revisited, let's scare Jessica to death. I did recognize a few moments that. That describe what you're talking about, that kind of feeling, that mm. Ill, Ill at ease feeling. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a scary movie sometimes. Mm-hmm. Let's scare Jack. Let's scare Jack. I do. Yeah. I, I still like that. Good director. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. John Hancock. Yes. Yeah. Now, is he the uh, father of the John, of John Hancock? <laughs> the one that signed the, the Constitution. The, the, <laughs> I don't think he's that old. <laughs> yeah, the guy that directed the the rookie and worked with Beastwood or something, or he may be. The there may be they might be related somehow. Uh, yeah, I, I know he was. <laughs> he had to. He he was the uh, he directed De Niro in that bang the bang the drum slowly. Yes, he this did that, bad. and uh, and uh, also did. California Dreamin', one of my favorite That's movies, right. with uh, yeah. uh, with Seymour Cassell and uh, Dennis Christopher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and he was the original director of Jaws too. Yeah, was fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, these that's um. Yeah, I like Let's Scare Jessica to Death. That's another that's another horror movie that people should seek out if they're looking for something out of the ordinary at Halloween. Cause, uh, yes. Although it's hard to find because it's out of print on DVD and there's no Blu-ray release, and so it's yeah, it's it's kinda, great one sheet too. 
Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> Great one sheet. Uh, yeah. Some other movies that I found on Prime that uh, I really had to look for them, and I don't know what's going on with how they sneak these movies out, but uh, uh, they have Ragtime on there, which isn't even available on Blu-ray or or on DVD. Yeah, it's out of print. Uh, it's DVDs. out of print, uh, and uh, Ragtime is on there, and geez, I love that movie so much. I watched it twice too. in a week. It's so great. Uh, what a cast. Unbelievable. Uh, at least 30 notable people in the cast, and it is, it is really something, something There's else. There's been a rumored longer cut of that movie. You know, the, the theatrical is like two, 239, I think, is the mm-hmm. runtime on it, 236, mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. And Supposedly there was a big chunk of that movie that Dino De Laurentiis just, he absolutely was adamant that it come out, and he forced Milos Forman to to take it out. And you can kind of so tell that that there's been something cut out of it, although it's it's yeah. pretty seamless uh, because of the way the the episodic way the movie unfolds. It would be easy to cut something out of it. Yeah, and certainly if you put, go back so to the you book, don't, uh, you don't think that uh, a Robert Altman version could have been any better. Uh, it may have been. It, it might have been. It would have been equally good, let's put it that way. <laughs> I like the Milos Forman. Could you imagine though. Robert Altman working with Dino De Laurentiis? <laughs> no, not at all. Absolutely he, not. I think Dino would have pulled what was remaining out of his uh, hair he had out of his yeah. head, yes. I think Altman would have spent the remain, remainder of his life in prison because he would have murdered Dino De Laurentiis. That's yeah. what would have happened. Mm-hmm. He would have seen no, we wouldn't have seen that career resurgence from Altman in the 90s because he would have been in jail. Well, that, that, that's, that's the one thing that uh, Robert Evans uh, always said about Popeye, which yeah. he says is still, still one of his most popular movies. Like People approach him about it all the time. Um, but uh, uh, he said, look, I went out of my way to give Robert Altman anything he wanted. Mm-hmm. I was not going to be one of those villainous movie executives that he cursed out. And they got along just famously during that shooting, apparently. Yeah. Even though well, apparently it was like a huge drug set. Like there was like... I'm sure it was with Robert Williams in there. Oh, oh yeah. And you know, those sets still exist. You know, that's what's weird. Yeah. It's still sitting over there in Malta, and people go over there as a tourist attraction and go, um, you know, they, wow. they go and visit them. I wonder if uh, when if they're safe to go to. God, they, they're they built they're, to look like they're falling apart. So I know. I when, know. They're, when they're really falling apart, how are they going to tell? Uh, you know. There's a great episode of that. As long as you eat, eat your spinach. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> But there's a great episode. There's a podcast called I Was There Too where they inter- they interview these people who have, you know, played a, a secondary role in a movie and, and they were, the, you know, it's not one of the main actors but it's one of the supporting car- actors or whatever. And they did an e- episode with Paul Dooley where he does a, a fascinating, mm. gives a fascinating um, insight into what that production was really like. Who <laughs> uh, so should have won the supporting actor Oscar for Breaking Away. Well, true, 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 true yeah, very true. Yeah, should have won. But um, if if anybody wants to know really what happened on Popeye on the Popeye set, that's a good <laughs> that's a good place to start. But yeah, yeah it's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's interesting, rag- and on one of the one of the interesting parts of that OJ documentary too from a couple of years ago was how OJ campaigned for the part in Ragtime. How he was desperate. Oh, to he's it. he's 
campaigning for the Howard Rollins role? Yes. Yeah. Mm. I forgot about that. And that God, he, he would have been awful. Yes, he would have been because <laughs> he couldn't act or shit. And uh, no, and Howard Rollins is great in it. Got an Oscar nomination for it. And yes, but and, I'm sure all, I'm sure all the white people would have thought he he killed it. Um, Well, I have a question about Prime you're talking about. I've been hearing that there's a director's cut of High Fidelity on there that's longer. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, maybe that's a rumor going around, but somebody told me the other day that there's a director's cut of High Fidelity, and I said, well, if that's the case... Well, I think people are... I think think some people are bootlegging things and putting them on there because... uh, I think uh, some of these things are are very odd, but uh, uh, like uh, City of Hope, uh, John Sales. There's a lot of John Sales on here. Uh, uh, I've been noticing like they have City of Hope, Limbo. They have a few other John Sales mm-hmm. movies, and uh, City of Hope is hard to see too. Probably also because of music rights. And uh, I tried to watch it, and it wasn't great. It wasn't as good as I remembered it. Had some pretty terrible uh, dialogue in it, but uh, streetwise dialogue. But uh, you look at it, I like and it. Yeah. oh, I do too. Yeah, the limbo's limbo's mm-hmm. unusual. But uh, City of Hope is also interesting if you look at it from a viewpoint of like sort of a dry run for The Wire, because uh, you know it, it hop, hops back and forth between these. Uh, kids and uh, then the city government officials and uh, teachers and uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and, of course, The Wire does the same exact thing, only it does it through over five years. Uh, so The Wire is sort of like City. Lim- Limbo. Yeah. Limbo I watched around the same time I watched The Music of Chance. And both movies felt similar and then I, I had no idea where either one of them were going. Uh huh. Um, like they didn't feel like they were cut from the standard cloth. Yeah. And by the end of it, I was like, huh, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Limbo has that ending, <laughs> crazy ending, but uh, it forces it's such you. Such an aptly to... titled movie. Yeah. It is. It is because it kind of forces you to decide whether you're. Uh, a optimist, a pessimist, or a realist, you know, and yeah. whichever one it is, you know, that's where you fall. That's where how it ends for you. So it's unusual, very unusual movie. And then I watched this. Oh, this was so depressing. I never sang for my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that movie. Actually, Jill Kate. Is that like Hackman and Melvin Douglas? Yes. Yeah, M- Melvin Douglas. Love- Melvin Douglas is a uh, dying uh, 80-year-old father who's just lost his uh, his wife, and uh, Hackman's visiting from uh, California where he's going to move to, and uh, uh, he's uh, oh god, it's it's downbeat, boy, is it downbeat? It is, but I can so relate to so many elements of that movie, and I guess it, this is an example of where your personal experience plays into whether you respond to something or not, because I I so, so respond to his character and his 
um, you know, he, how much he wants to please his father and how much he wants to connect with his dad on an emotional level. And, and uh, I, I've, I've lived through a little bit of that. And so I, I totally, when, when I see that movie, it just resonates with me on such a, such a profound level. And I think that's why I respond to it so, so deeply. But I love that movie. I really do. It sort of feels, it feels like a TV movie and uh, it is relentlessly depressing. He has to take a, there's a, uh, scene where he has to take a tour of a old folks home because he's got to put his dad in an old folks home and mm-hmm. that is so crushing mm. it's just you can't even look yeah. at it <laughs> but uh, here's another unusual thing that popped up on Prime Tempest uh, the Cassavetes the uh movie but although it's not a Cassavetes movie it's a no, uh, it's a Paul Bazersky oh. movie yes right but uh Got a huge cast, including Cassavetes and Gina Rollins, Susan Sarandon again, and a lot of people in it. Uh, and uh, I haven't watched it in a really long time, but I'm thinking about watching it later on. I have a feeling I probably won't like it like I didn't like it a long time ago. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I remember when it came out. I remember very well when it came out. and That was a time, an interesting time in Cassavetes' career when he was... Uh, trying different you know, things. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of it was so he could fund his own movies. And yes. I remember that was around the same time he did Incubus, the Incubus. Yes. yes. And <laughs> that was an HBO staple of the days when I we first got pay cable, and I just remember that. that yeah, was one of those man. That same I wonder time. how he took. I wonder how he took to having a, a cast made of his entire body for the Fury. So they could blow it up. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. me, he was, pro- was probably highly agitated. If they just I, put actually, a cigarette in his mouth, <laughs> they just put yeah, a cigarette yeah. in his mouth. Just stay there. He was fine. I remember John Badham. John, John Badham talking to us about directing Cassavetes, and he'd look at the script, and he played a doctor in whose life is it anyway? Mm-hmm. Which Love isn't a great movie because it's it's not a great play. Uh, actually, um, it's a good place to lead actor because it's such a physical yeah. challenge. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, he plays the doctor, and he had this big speech where he's just giving two, 20 cc's of blah, 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 all this, all this technical speak. Mm-hmm. And Cassavetes was like, I'm not going to say that shit. He said, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, give the fucker a shot. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, it, uh, when you're faced with one of the great directors and you're having to direct them, uh, Adam's really smart with actors. Whatever reflects in the finished product is one thing, but he, he's really savvy with working with actors. He wrote a whole book about it, and it's such a great book. And he said, look, we have to take this character seriously. We, we, we have to know that this doctor knows this stuff, what he's talking about. I mean, consider the man's education and blah, blah, blah. And Cassavetes was like, oh, all right, all right, I'll save the line. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess, I guess you just had to kind of be firm, but you know, with him. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen that, so I might feel differently about it. I liked it back in the day, but I might feel differently now. So, yeah, I, 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 I think it, I, I think it, uh, it dances on the edge of being cloying. Uh, yeah. And yeah. uh, and uh, sometimes very effective. Uh, filmed during, uh, I guess, Richard Dreyfuss' you know major drug period 
I think. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to. I, I thought I wanted to do that play, uh, and I was at a place where they would let me do whatever play I wanted to do years ago, and I said, "Well, that sounds like such a great challenge to play that part." And, and it was. It's not great. It's not very. It's not very good material. It's. Oh yeah. Everything surround. Everything surrounding him is pretty lame. Oh like, uh, yeah. The dialogue and the relationships when he isn't on and. And when he is on, it's a it's a one issue thing. It's, do right. I have the right to determine my own death, how I die? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all the thing is, really. And uh, they do a pretty good job of keeping it to that in the movie. Uh, so that might be why the movie's more effective. Uh, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Uh, I did watch Quiz Show again. Uh huh. Because it was available and. Um, I did surf through Amazon Prime, and every every damn title I typed in, they didn't have. I mean, they yeah. had for between three ninety nine and twelve ninety nine, or whatever that is. Yes. But uh, uh, anyway, I settled on Quiz Show, and I uh, and man, uh, what a great uh, what a great great movie, and such a I love Paul Schofield in the movie. Uh, yes. But I, I I did pay attention to, more to Ray Fiennes. And uh, it's a, it's an amazing performance in contrast to what he just done in Schindler's List. Uh-huh. It's such a it's, it's such a congenial, kind-eyed performance. Yeah. <laughs> although it's also the opposite direction. Yes, yes. Uh, although it's it's also you know filled with uh, not not a lot of self confidence, you know, in the character. Yeah. You know? uh, and that's another major difference from the. From the two performances, uh, but uh, yeah, he's very good in it. And of course, Totoro's excellent. He's he's the one chewing up the scenery with what teeth he has left. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a good movie. It's got good good period detail. My also my favorite uh, one of my favorite Martin Scorsese appearances uh-huh. in a movie. Yeah, he's well it's, used. That's the highlight there. to me. It is. He's very good in it as a as sort of smiling but malevolent uh, uh, TV executive. Uh, it's got or, great. Um, it's got great character detail in it, as you know, obviously as does ordinary people. Um, and it's, you know, he was on Redford was on TCM the other night. He was like a guest programmer. Mm-hmm. And so Ben Makowitz spent a lot of time talking to him about his new movie, The Old Man and the Gun, but they went back through a lot of other movies. And the two movies that he decided to play were The Candidate and Straight Good Time. Choice. Uh, which the Hoffman movie. So uh, okay. Anyway, so that's, they're talking. That's interesting. And, and, you know, and he he did work against the Pretty Boy image for a while, even in something like The Candidate. He, yeah, uh, you know, obviously, him being so attractive is part of the appeal of that candidate, and that's mm-hmm. essential. But he wasn't afraid to play it like that's really all he had going for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. He, his head was he had he, you know he he had he meant well. That's pretty much yeah. the best thing that you could say about him. But 
but then you see something like the Horse Whisperer, where he bathes himself in golden light. And yeah. Every word that comes out of his mouth is so wise. He doesn't know how to have a normal conversation. Uh, yeah. And it's like, well, that's like falling into that. That you know, I'm so gorgeous, and everything I say is a jewel. That you were trying to avoid for so long in your career. Some of that, some of that sort of started popping up with uh, Out of Africa, I think. You know, mm-hmm. he kind of had that same kind of character. He, he has in Out that of too. Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But but then the seventies were a different time. I mean, yeah. The seventies, and you you see it somewhat. On, you see it on now. It's on television. Yeah. Because the seventies was the anti-hero era. Yeah. It was like the the especially when it came to masculinity. And, mm-hmm. you know, how that was adrift, how male identity and that kind of thing was adrift. And some of our great character studies from the 70s comes from the, come from those themes. Yeah. And I think something like The Candidate flows right into that. It would have been interesting yeah. to see, if, uh, see what, uh, what kind of political career that character had 40 years later. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be an interesting sequel. See, see, I'm surprised he he probably considered that, you know. They talked about it, I think, for a while. Yeah. Uh, did the did the screenwriter who won an Oscar for that screenplay, Jeremy Larner, did he did he ever come up with anything? I may have. I, I know they, they it was something that was definitely being talked about at one point, and then it just never came to fruition. Mm-hmm. But it was it was it was well, being discussed. And it is interesting, too, because he was talking about uh, this being his second collaboration with Michael Ritchie. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he said in, in both of our films, Downhill Racer and this one, they're both about uh, winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does it mean? What do you give up? Uh, you know, that, that kind of dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a great last line. You know, yes. what, what do we do now? What do I yeah. do now? Yes, it's a it's a tremendous movie. It's very well directed. Love mm-hmm. all the the uh, commercial spots that you see for the for the candidate and uh, on television yeah. and and uh, it's it's there's something very chilling about that film. And 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 yeah. they set out to employ a lot of documentary tactics in that one too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, really good movie. And then I watched rewatch the '54 A Star Is Born. Uh-huh. Now there are several several versions of it um, because it was severely cut upon its initial release, and then they found elements of missing scenes, and so it, it varies in length by like thirty or so minutes. What they do it in the forms. '90s? They re-release it in the '90s, yeah. maybe. The, and yeah. there's there's a guy there's a guy years ago that claims that he has the, all the remaining footage in his attic or something, mm-hmm. and he's not giving it up. Uh, why he's not giving it up, I don't know. So I, mm-hmm. I, I call bogus on that story, but claim. But anyway, so it's disorienting when you see this restored version because there are elements where the soundtrack is intact, but they don't have the visual. Yeah, so, so they just they use do, pictures. They do the thing. Yes. <laughs> Why bother? Like you know, if you're if you're writing if you're writing a thesis on it, yeah, you want to see that stuff. But why bother for an experience watching it? But, it's the kind um, of thing that would be uh, be on YouTube right now. Uh, in, yeah, in that era, if it, it, it was around mm-hmm. in that era. So uh, yeah, but 
But uh, the new Star is Born owes, definitely owes a lot to it. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, the even down to the lines in the movie, because they make a point. It's a special line, including the last one that James Mason says, I just want to look at you. Or I just want yeah. to have another look at you. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. definitely throw callbacks. But Judy Garland is uh, effing she's, amazing in that She's movie. fantastic in that movie, yeah. My favorite and of that, her performances, that, yes. That number where she plays all the nationalities, like this, while he's sitting on the couch, uh-huh. like this big musical number, it's just incredible. And yeah. Judy Garland is someone whose voice annoys me, just like uh, Liza Minnelli. Me too. But me I too. Still, <laughs> <laughs> and her mannerisms and everything, and yeah, yeah. I, I, she's not my favorite person, but uh, she's very good in that movie. Yes. Uh, years ago, Liza Minnelli, Liza Minnelli made an album called uh, "Tenderly," I think was the name of it. Uh huh. And and it's like her on the cover of the album with like this, you know, wide-eyed and looking all soft and. And so I said, oh, okay, nice, pleasant, like, Muzak love songs. I'll, let me start to play this. So I played it, and it, uh, immediately her version of Tenderly was, ah! I mean, it was like Ethel yeah. Roman. It was, <laughs> yeah. it's like, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Anyway, but 54 Stars Born, great. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. I saw. I rewatched the the new one uh, the other day after uh, after watching First Man uh, and had to get the taste of that out of my mouth. And uh, I still liked it. Uh, I kept my ear open for the uh, for the uh, bad language that you guys said was in it, and uh, I noticed it sort of popped up whenever uh, Sam Elliott was on screen. And yeah. uh and yeah, I don't know exactly what was going on with that. It, I didn't find it uh distracting, but I know what you guys if it sounds phony it does. And uh and uh, it sounded fine to me, but uh I still think it's a it's a very, very good entertaining piece of pop entertainment and uh really well done. And the yeah. music is great in it. Yeah. It's good. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, we had a couple of people on YouTube. Oh, yeah? uh, We're not satisfied with our comments on it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah? What did they say? This was before the movie opened, so it tells me that they're like Gaga fans. Okay. You know, it's like the Dark Knight thing. How dare you criticize the Dark Knight? I see. Those kinds of fans, but not not as vociferous. So one guy said, we can't understand what you thought of the damn movie. And I was like, well, what don't you understand about liking most of it, but having issues with some of it? Like, what don't you understand about that? Uh, and then another person said, you know, you're just like a bunch of little kids trying to, and he misspelled so many words, trying to uh, act like, you know what you're talking about. And then he said, the first first sign of a great critic is someone that is willing to admit when they're wrong. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, well, first of all, no, it's not. Uh, uh, that's not the first sign of a good critic. I said the, f- the first, the most important sign of a good critic is to have a distinct point of view. Mm. And because uh, and he also complained about us putting personal feelings and stuff into what we said about the movie. And I said in, in the, in the, in the, and it, 
bothers me that people don't know what criticism is anymore. And, I, God, I, I talked to Rick about this the other night, mm-hmm. and I got up on my soapbox, and I could not stop. <laughs> because a, a truly great critic, you should, you should be able to read the totality of their work, and you know who they are. You know what their values are. You know yeah. what they stand for. Uh, you know, it's all interpretive. Yes. Um, oh, it bugs me. I agree. It bugs me. I agree. And, uh, you know, certainly, uh, certainly the most lauded critics out there, like uh, Kale and, and so forth, uh, have uh, have revealed themselves in their work many times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't I, I agree with that. I understand uh, what somebody's trying to say with that uh, and criticizing it, but uh, look, if you're not interested, turn the page or whatever, you know? That's right. Yeah. Uh, and I love it also when people say stuff like, well, that's two two minutes of my life I'll never get back. Uh, and you're You'll like, never get yeah. any minutes of your life back. <laughs> and yet you wanted you wanted to waste another twenty seconds to write that fucking sentence. So yes. obviously you don't value your time very much. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm. You know what else is on Prime? How to succeed in business without really trying. Uh, early Bob Fosse work. That's right. I mm. saw that last year. I've never seen it. Uh, this is the nineteen sixty seven oh. version with Robert Morris, uh, which mm-hmm. is. One of the reasons he got cast in Mad Men later. Yep. Adam, there's still no Star 80, but t- tell the audience what was just announced for Blu-ray. <laughs> well, I think it might have been on our last show. We mentioned uh, Jamie mentioned that Memories of Me with Henry Winkler and, and Alan King was uh-huh. uh, missing on, on Blu-ray and it was uh-huh. somewhat out of print on DVD, I think, and we just didn't see it turn up. And, and then it was announced that it's going to be issued on Blu-ray <laughs> the following week. Yay! Wow. So that was we we got uh, we got some more memories of me is just coming out on Blu-ray for anybody who's interested. Still that has anything though. to do with us. Uh, I would I would hate that to be our legacy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know we all there are have worse movies. Yes, there are worse there movies. Are worse Yes, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. I still yeah. remember that piano score. That and that's a score that's never been available. But it was one of those like, and I I do have a couple of uh yeah. It was like dun 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 dun. Like it was really like tinkly piano score for that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Which and, were popular uh, back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think like Henry Winkler's three year old or something probably played it, but. Uh, and I do have a couple like that. That movie, Misunderstood, with Gene Hackman. I've yeah. got that soundtrack, and that's one of those tinkly piano scores. And I gotta admit, I love them. Uh, I tried know, to I watch like those uh, corny things. I watched uh, the other day. Also on Prime was It's My Turn. Uh, Jill uh, early '80s with uh, Jill Clayburg and uh, Michael Douglas and Charles Grodin, uh, Cynthia Vile. Or while is is the uh, director, and it mm-hmm. had a score by Patrick Williams that was very irritating. The same, yeah. basically like something lifted from the from the Michael Masser song, 
uh, that's uh, coming up, and and you're just like, oh god, the score is so irritating. I had to cut it off. Now, is, the, it. is the Diana Ross song in that movie? Yes, yes. Okay. Michael Master wrote the Diana Ross song, and okay. uh, he also he also wrote you know the greatest love of all, you know, oh. for the greatest. Yeah, uh, which which became along, a hu- huge hit, of course. Yeah, along with Linda Creed, who wrote all those um, songs for the Stylistics in the early seventies. Oh yeah, yeah. And she she was the co-writer on it. She wrote all those. Yeah. So so is this the same Cynthia Vile that wrote uh, that's the famous songwriter that directed that movie? I'm wondering if that's the same. I I wrote. don't think it is. I was wondering because you know there's there's Barry Mann and Cynthia Vile who the, the songwriting team who've written so many songs we can't even name them here. Yes, um, I'm so, not sure. Maybe maybe it is. I don't know. That maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering her name. Yeah, but, that, uh, that would be curious. God, all those yeah. all those milk toast music movies, like uh, the music that came from movies, like uh, you light up my life. Oh, that's <laughs> one of the worst. And a terrible movie. And Making Love by Roberta Flack. That was that's a, one that that's an excellent choice for for uh, unlistenable. Yeah, all those charted, too. They were like top 20 or top 10. Yeah. And what does it say about the decade of the 70s that You Light Up My Life is the top-selling song of the whole decade? Man. <laughs> Man, that... <laughs> I mean, I remember. I I have vivid recollections of "You Light Up My Life" being such a huge song. I have vivid recollections of, as a little boy, being in Kmart, like walking next to my mother as she was pushing the shopping cart, and hearing "You Light Up My Life" over the mm-hmm. speakers in Kmart. I, that song oh, yeah. was everywhere. Wow. Ugh. Absolutely. It was. Yeah. Whitney Houston, Houston did a version of it on one of her albums, later albums. And I always thought it was funny because she ended the song. Um, <laughs> I don't know what this pronunciation is about, but she was like, "You light up my nerve." Nerve. Celine Dion does that a lot too, and I'm like, well, "What the fuck is a nerve?" <laughs> like hold the note and twist it by the end. It you know, sounds completely different. Well, Cynthia Vile is the uh, same director of Girlfriends. That's, yes. That's, I mean, it was Claudia Vile, not... Claudia Vile, yes. Claudia, yeah, that's it. I was misremembering. Mis- 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 I wonder if they're related. Uh, that's a possibility. But, uh, yeah, she, uh, but she's still active. She directed the TV show Girls. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty interesting. So, yeah, but yeah, there were so many of those songs. You're exactly right from those movies like that. that and, they, and they all seemed to chart, or most of them did. So, yeah... Uh, and I don't know who's to say. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, 80s, like every family movie in the 80s was filled with that electronic yeah. piano kind of sound. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, I was watching something recently. It was The score was, oh, yeah, I was watching The Princess Bride recently with my son who had never seen it, and I'm not a tremendous fan of that. I know it's sacrilege to say that, but I'm just not. Yeah, people love it. It hasn't improved over the years. But uh, that score by Mark Knopfler is so synth-heavy, and and it just, it sounds cheesy. It really sounds cheesy. I was listening to it, and I said, I can't, this this does not sound like a 
a mainstream a score for a mainstream Hollywood film. It just sounds cheap. His, <laughs> his scores for uh, for the Bill Sor- Forsyth movies like uh, uh, Comfort and Joy mm-hmm. and uh, Local Hero yeah. are brilliant. But uh, they also have a lot of synth in them, but a lot of guitar work in them. Yeah. And some of them are, uh, some of it's very, very gentle, and some of it's very, uh, very bold. But uh, you're right. Uh, I remember seeing that he was doing the score for it. I was disappointed with the score to that movie. Yeah, it's not good. Nothing, it, it is not nothing, beats, nothing beats, nothing beats milk and cookies from Arthur Arthur. Oh yeah, pinnacle uh, <laughs> of sappy songs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What are we gonna do our, also, our our special show of songs? Oh yeah, songs from movies. Well, there's also know, Stephen yeah. Bishop, and and I I like the song from uh, Tootsie. What famous song did Stephen Bishop do from the movie? Tootsie. Uh, uh, it might be you. Might be you, yeah. He yes, also did. That's the some, one that's really good. And he, he wrote that one from uh, White Knight, Separate Lives. Uh, what was it? Um, that's a great song too. Wow. Yeah, he wrote. Yeah, that he did one. some songs for Animal House, including Animal House. That's true. That and uh, a couple others, I think. Yes, he did. Wow. So Stephen Bishop. Didn't he do a song for? Uh, he did a song for uh, China Syndrome, somewhere oh, in between. <laughs> I believe yeah, he did. did. He did. There's a song in it. Because if any movie needs a pop song, it's the China Syndrome. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine an American Top 40 where that actually charted? <laughs> number Debuting at number 30, it's the theme from the China Syndrome. <laughs> and, here's, and here's Stephen Bishop with... I'm having a meltdown from the China <laughs> Yes. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's hard to imagine. That would be fun to speculate about, like movies that, uh, what movies would have completely, in, would be in, completely inappropriate to put a pop song in there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that definitely is one of them. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I always had, like, an idea of, of doing, like, Making like one of those Disney animatronic tours where you're in the the, car, the little car and it goes through and all these animatronics are there like Captain Jack Sparrow and they're all like enacting scenes from their movie and all the kids go ooh and ah. I always had an idea of doing it, a ride like that of completely inappropriate movies like the um, the electroshock therapy scene in Cuckoo's Desk. <laughs> animatronics like enacting that scene and, <laughs> it'd be uh, funny with the body popping up and down <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that would be a great thing anyway. yeah. uh, hey anybody go, anybody gonna watch a survey of a Le- Veliches movie Veliches movie uh, 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 oh yeah it's an HBO movie right yeah with uh, Peter Dinklage as, as Hervé Villachez. Uh, yeah, who else? Yeah. Who else could you get? Yes. I mean, it's like Vern Troyer's dead. So, yeah, really. <laughs> That's true. And actually, oh. Vern Troyer was probably a little too small for it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He, he may have been. I got one of the best, speaking of Hervé Villachez while we're on that subject, I, I got one of the best laughs that I've had in a while last week because they, they have those uh, Gilbert 
uh, Godfrey has those mini episodes where they do they pick a subject and riff for about 40 minutes, and they were riffing on um, TV themes that you didn't know have lyrics. And at the, uh, yes, the, that's uh, something I wanted to do one time. Yes. Yeah, it's great. It's it's really great, and some of them are just really gaspingly bad. But they over the end uh, at the very end of the show they played a song. It was a uh, Herve Villachez attempt at a pop record. And I had no idea he had attempted something of that sort. And it was released by Epic Records in 1980. It was called Why. <laughs> and, it was, and it was unbelievable. I mean, you just had to hear it to believe it is all I'm going to say. Was it talk wow. singing or was it, uh, yeah, was yeah, it real it singing? Was talk singing? Talk, talk singing. singing. Yeah. And, and it was about why are we so bad to each other? Why are yeah. we pleased for Why? I'm telling you, you guys have to. To hear it. it is available on YouTube. I'll have to send a link or something. But it's called. Uh, Herve I'm, I'm ordering it. The... I'm ordering it right now. <laughs> He's ordering it. Herve, Herve and the Children of the World is the actual official title. Okay. Of the group. So, uh, but all you have to. I could. I laughed. I was at work and I was laughing so hard. I, I just had to. I had to stifle myself. I was, my foot was stomping the floor and I. I well, I have. Uh, I mean, I uh, one of my sub collections are the the actors that sing, like they're, they're the yes. albums that they made. Yeah. So uh, I'm always looking for those, like William who, Cat. Who, who's the weirdest one? Weirdest uh, actor that you you would go? I'd really, what? I'd really have to think about it. I picked up a Telly Savalas the other day, and mm-hmm. then I was at some kind of record fair, and I happened upon a Goldie Hawn album. I was like, Goldie Hawn made an album. It was wow. the only solo album she made. And I said, well, this goes right next to my Kurt Russell album. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I've got a lot of them. But, uh, and actually, some of them are good. Like, um, I like the Don Johnson album. And I like yeah, the... I um, uh, there's another one. So Anthony Perkins made really good albums, too, back in the day. <laughs> with lush yeah. arrangements behind them. And, you know, uh, yeah, Robert Mitchell, not so chart. much. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> What was his yeah. single that charted? Yeah, Tony Perkins had a top twenty hit. It was a Moonlight Swim. <laughs> yeah. Let me take you on a moonlight swim. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Those, you know, <laughs> it has to be heard to be believed. Anyway, yeah. what I didn't know about the Survey Villages movie is that it's written and directed by the real journalist that interviewed him that uh, did his last interview. And that's okay. what the movie's about. Man. Uh, I've got he, to see it that. was yeah. just a little bit before he killed himself, and he was in a and he thought it was going to be like a, pl- a, a fluff piece, and he was kind of dreading going over there to interview him, and he spent a week with him, and uh, he turned out to be very uh, confessional, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a wild week that kind of changed him, and uh, the movie condenses it to one night, mm. but uh, he did say that he he. He set it in his mind uh, to do this for him for a long time, and it's it's been like decades and decades, and he just now got around to being able to do it because of Peter Dinklage and his success in uh, on, with HBO. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Andy Garcia is in it. Andy Garcia plays Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, <laughs> they sh- they showed a clip of him in the movie, and and man. It's stunning how much he looks like him in the movie, but he makes zero attempt at a voice or an accent. Ah. Uh, 
Which, why not? That bothers me. It bothers me. <laughs> That's one of the things about the Elton John preview that came yes. out for for uh, the uh, coming up biopic, whatever it's called. Uh, man, he didn't make any apparent, uh, and that guy didn't make any attempt at sounding like Elton John at all. And you have one of the great popular music voices at Elton John. Why would you do it, use anything but him anyway? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know you have uh, his, the rights to use it, so... Yeah, that, that bugs but you know, and I'm very lenient on, and you know this, Dean, because it's a stickler thing with you. I'm lenient yeah. with people looking exactly like who they're playing. I'm saying, you know, give a ch- an actor a chance to imbue the spirit of it, and that's the important thing. But when I see something like when they shot Sharon Tate's Last Meal last week for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they shot at the El Coyote, and the four of them were there, and they were photographed walking into the place, including... J.C. Britton and Abigail Folger and Wojciech Frykowski. And the actor playing Wojciech Frykowski has a beard and a mustache. I'm like, well, Wojciech did not have a beard and a mustache. At least yeah. not the night he was killed. And that bugged me, because it's so simple. It's so yeah. obvious. If you were an actor, I would think, God, I wouldn't want to have a beard and a mustache, because he didn't. Like, that's the yeah. easiest thing to get right. I agree. Okay. I agree completely. Yeah, totally. Oh, man. And... Yeah, the uh, the Hervey movie airs this coming Saturday, and it's yeah. uh, my my dinner with Hervey. Yeah. Okay. Exciting. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what can you say? <laughs> should be a, should be a good there. little movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if they'll have somebody portraying uh, Billy Barty in the movie if he's cuz I think he founded the uh the organization for the benefit of little people or something and Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, he okay, did. Okay, so uh yeah. Maybe he'll Billy Barty. have a cameo. <laughs> Who knows? Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm excited they're about they're making they're making World War Z 2. They're starting in May or June, and then it's gonna it's gonna be stretched out for three more years, like the last. I don't know, movie. and, and Fincher's, <laughs> Fincher's still directing it. Okay, uh, it might be interesting to see what Fincher does with a zombie movie. Uh, even though I, I haven't been inordinate, whatever that word is, impressed. Inordinately with thrilled <laughs> with his last hard movie. Word for me to say, inordinately yeah. hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's inordinately hard to say. Uh, I did rewatch Seven, and I was reminded, you know, what a fucking awesome, spectacular movie that is. Yes, it uh, is. Oh my God, what a great movie! And mm-hmm. um, and I picked up uh, on great character stuff in that movie, especially with Brad Pitt. They put so much stuff in that movie to show you that Brad Pitt is truly like. Uh, an arrogant hot shot that's yeah. completely clueless, and it's such funny stuff that they put in that thing. Yeah, at, at you know, the beginning he, of it, yeah, he's like saying a lot of stuff that you you picture him hearing in in cop shows and stuff, and little yeah. jokes and that he's, he's making and, he, and, and he stuff. And he puts on his tie. His tie is pre-tied. Probably his yeah. wife tied it. 
Yeah. And then there's a you know, there's a scene where Morgan Freeman asks for uh, some wine, and he brings it to him in this huge glass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this like, little little thing, cause like he hasn't really grown up yet. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's good. Well, what do we think about uh, Mel Gibson directing a remake of The Wild Bunch? What's our opinion on that? Oh. Uh, whatever. You know what we say about remakes on the show. I guess we have a kind of a unusual take on remakes because most people are annoyed by them, but but I think they're fair game, and uh, it's just like redoing a play. And, uh, you know, so uh, let, him, let him try and do it. I don't know. Maybe, uh, but, uh, you know, the original is, is the best movie of 1969 and will remain one of the greatest movies ever made. So, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. And, of course, the, the only, like, the only, like, uh, criticism that people really throw at something like that is, like, do we need this? Which we don't up need another anything. Old po- yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's another old point that we always harp, harp on, which is, yeah. you know, it's not going to cure liver cancer. So, no, you don't need it. Yes. Uh, yeah. What the hell? But if it's inevitable that the Wild Bunch is going to be remade, I think they made a good choice with Mel Gibson. Yes, because he loves the violence, and, uh, and uh, he might be just the right person for that. And... Uh, Let's see if he cast it right, because uh, you know, got to have a lot of old guys in it, and I don't know if that's uh, if that's verboten these days or what. But uh, who's it going to be? Yeah. I have absolutely no idea who it would be. Yeah, yeah. He was he's been on the press junket for the new Craig uh, uh, Zoller movie. Craig Zobel. The, the, yeah, the one yeah. that I really like. Um. Uh, the the um, cop the dirty cop movie dragged across concrete with Bo Gibson and Vince Vaughn, <clears throat> okay. which doesn't sound like a genre bending or genre melding movie like the previous two he's made. But uh, people talk about how great uh, how uh, how effective it is. Mm. Anyway, and he was asked about the Wild Bunch, and he said my first reaction was exactly what you guys say, which is you know I don't need to do that. They don't need to remake that. And then he said then we hear a take on it. And it goes in a different direction, and he, he started to get excited about it. It's going to be effective. It's, there's are going to be a reason for it to exist because it's going to be kind of in a different realm mm, so, okay. uh, than the original. Okay. Well, I'll see it when it comes out. You know. Yeah. They're going. They're going to call it call it the Wilder Bunch. <laughs> no, they're, they're not. Well. And they're going to re- resurrect Gene Wilder, and he's going to be in it. Yeah. Well, he's gonna get to the set. He's like, "Oh, I thought you said I was directing the Brady Bunch. This is like completely different from what I expected." <laughs> well, I guess it's no worse than Spielberg's West Side Story remake. Speaking of remakes, so yeah, who knows? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, and I have new problems. Spielberg should make a musical because he. Yeah, I agree. Great, great at, great at filling the frame. You know, I've always wanted him to do a, a musical, mm-hmm. a full-fledged. This might, this will be it, I guess. I just don't know how he's gonna pull this, get this one done and finished, and and jump into shooting that next Indiana Jones movie, which they're they keep saying is gonna be 
you know, they're targeting a firm release date on that. And I don't know. I mean, time is is of the essence with Harrison Ford approaching 80. Yes. <laughs> I think they got to mm. get on with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe yeah. Spielberg can rectify one of the blaring uh, uh, faults in the first uh, West Side Story, which is when Tony's, like, running through the Puerto Rican neighborhood, he shouts out Maria, and only one person goes to their window. (laughs) (laughs) I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Everything free in America. For a small fee in America. Buying on credit is so nice. One look at us and they charge twice. I have my own washing machine. What will you have, though, to keep clean? Skyscrapers bloom in America. Cadillacs zoom in America. Industry boom in America. Twelve in a room in America. Lots of new housing with more space. Lots of doors slamming in our face. I'll get a terrace apartment. Better get rid of your accent. Life can be bright in America. If you can fight in America. Life is all right in America. If you're all white in America. Everyone there will have moved here. Oh. <laughs> 